I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm just going to read you one verse, but I'm actually going to go through the whole chapter, so we're just going to land in that. And today, I want to speak to you about having a generous mindset, having a mindset, a pattern of thinking that becomes and is generous as you already have that. I want you to grow into it. Verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says it this way. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You're going to be enriched so that you can be generous. I've been thinking a little bit this week about what is it that really changes people. I mean, in one sense... We, we, we can all make superficial changes, but deep, lasting change where people see the world differently. Sure, some crisis can do that. A difficult, you can have a life-changing event can do that. An act of forgiveness can, can do that. It can change your mind on some things. Uh, perhaps an, an act of love. But that deep down change, You know, when people are generous to you or you're generous to someone, it changes things. During the Second World War, there was a village called Lidice in Czechoslovakia. And uh, the the men of Lidice were accused of uh, assassinating uh, Reinhard Heydrich, who was Hitler's right-hand man and one of his friends. And actually, they didn't do it. But Hitler was so incensed with this that he decided to destroy Lidice. And he so destroyed it, he even rerouted the river that went through it. And the men were, were put into mass graves and they marched the women off to death camps and to concentration camps. And uh, from Stoke-on-Trent, where I'm from, my sister-in-law, uh, she lived in an avenue called Stross Avenue. And, and we, there was a place near us called Barnet Avenue. I didn't know why the roads were named that way at first, but there was a doctor, Barnet Stross, who was a Jewish man, and many of the people who were, were persecuted in Czechoslovakia were Jewish. And he got his bit between his teeth and thought, no, Lidice must live. We can't allow just a whole town and village to be wiped out as if they were nothing. And he galvanized the North Staffordshire miners who they started to give a day of their wages in order to rebuild this this little inconsequential village in Czechoslovakia. And the Let Lidice Live campaign became a worldwide thing. In fact, in America, some of the... um, Fathers and mothers named their daughter Lidice, as the Americans do. They jump on things like that. And, and it became a campaign, but this is the thing. When the women were marched back from the camps that they'd been after the war and saw that their village had been rebuilt, they said this. When we were being marched away, we thought humanity was terrible. We thought men were evil, and we had no hope. And now as we walk back, our mind and our heart is changed, and our faith is restored. 
There is something about generosity that changes people's lives and changes their mindset. A generous person has a change effect on others, and that's why it's so important for us as church, in the midst of all the competing uh, values that we are in, and all the accusations of us being hypocrites about money and so on, it's so important that we learn about generosity, because being a generous person has a change effect on others. We can learn about generosity because it's It really gives the reality to the dreams that you have and that God may place before us. I have a question, though. I don't know about you. Uh, Did you go and see the film Dunkirk recently and uh, with Kenneth Branagh, you know, and and, uh, he doesn't do much in the film, by the way. But, you know, uh, Dunkirk, I was looking at it and I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if this generation would do that. I wonder if... Today, if Dunkirk happened again, would we do that again? Have we got that communal sacrifice? Have we got that togetherness? And many of you older people here, you might say, oh, no, no. I, don't, I believe we have. I believe we've got a great generation. I believe we've got a generation with greatness in them. And I think that people would do it again. I think they would. You see, put the next slide on, if you will. Uh, this is a picture of one of our pastors in the, in the church, and his name is Richard Lighton, and this was in the Birmingham Mail, and uh, the, it talks about this whole complex, and as you can see there, this is a, it's quite a complicated cardboard cutout, but you can make out the church there on the right, and, and some of the flats that the church built around it, and the original idea was is that this could be a community of change for people, and even a drug rehabilitation center, and uh, if you can see at the top, Back in the 80s, 3.6 million was the community center plan was unveiled, and that was Pastor Richard's vision for where you're sitting now. And my question to you is, should we live in our grandparents' sacrifice, or have we got anything of our own? I believe we have. I think all over this country, there are churches living in grandparents' sacrifice. And I think that the grandchildren now need to say, it's our time now. And I believe it's there. But that's why we need to learn about generosity so that our discipleship and so that our ability to change and the reality of the dreams that God may place on our hearts, not just about buildings and church, but your dreams as well, And the change agent that you can become in people so that they find legs on the earth and are not just good intentions. So will you walk with me through 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Get it out on your phone or your iPad or or that thing that you might have called a book. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's have have a look at that, shall we? Because I want to just walk you through some principles of generosity. So today we're just going to do a, a kind of teaching Bible study. Number one, good intentions always need good practical expressions. Um, You can read verses 1 through 5, but verse 5 says this. Paul, talking to the Corinthians, said, I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. Paul 
knew that they had good intentions in Corinth. But he was not going to leave it to chance or to routine. He was saying, no, I'm going to send some people to make sure this is all in place. And it's important today in our free-spirited world that we don't shy away from a program that involves making a formal commitment. It actually protects you and keeps your good intentions as to be something real. Everybody in this place, you want this church to prosper. In your heart, I know that you're saying, man, I really pray that BCC does well. You've got good intentions. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to try and funnel that down into more of a program so that those good intentions can be translated into a long-term plan. And that's what the Scripture says here. Paul's saying, I've sent people ahead to make sure that everything's in order. Good intentions need good expressions. Second teaching point. Have a look with me at verse 6. Good proportions lead to good provision. Remember this, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, we all shy away from principles and we all... Uh, try and look for exceptions. That's our culture. We, we all want to look at things uh, a lot differently these days. And, 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 and it's right that we shouldn't have a formula that says, if I do that, then that automatically happens. It doesn't fully work that way. And we don't want to take the personal commitment out of things where we say, well, I'm not, I'll just do the formula, you know, sow lots and get the the big reap and you know as if it's just a formula that automatically works no giving's always a personal thing generosity's always a personal thing from the heart we're a shuffle generation aren't we I don't mean the alley shuffle, and some of you don't know what that is. But, um, you know, like we like our iPod on, on shuffle, don't we? So we can just like, oh, I'm listening to this. Oh, now I'm listening to this. Oh, now it's this. Now it's this. The algorithm, the, the mathematical formula that makes an iPod shuffle is really difficult to achieve. In fact, Spotify, their most complaints is that their shuffle program is, is too, uh, ra- not random enough. Because what happens is if you turn off your iPod and then turn it back on, you need to, uh, you, it, it starts again and reshuffles so you hear the same songs again and you don't get through your whole playlist. I personally think I've got better things to do with my time than to email into Apple and tell them that my shuffle's not working properly. But this is the point. We look for patterns. We want patterns because we're designed that way. We're designed, and that's how we grow. When we sow into something and we do it consistently, then God begins to bless that and to move in that. We are actually designed to live in patterns, and that's how we live and we grow. And we need to understand that that's how things spiritually work. Now, what you sow, it will grow. Write that down if you're taking notes. What you sow, it will grow. If you go to the gym and pump iron, you're going to get bulked up. If you go to the Mars bar, 
there's going to be other things that grow. What you sow over time, let me just show you the principle. And don't worry, Caroline, I'm not going to make too much mess. But here you go. Okay, I'm going to sow into my prayer life. Yeah. I'm going to sow into my career. Prayer life. Career. Which is going to grow. There's nothing wrong with sowing a lot into your career. But you have to sow into other things as well. If you sow sparingly into something, if you invest sparingly into something, don't think that it's just, oh, it'll grow. You have to invest for things to grow. That's what the Bible says, and that's all that it's teaching. The same is true of our giving. As you are generous, God can teach you and trust you and and help you to give you more faith lessons so that you know how to be more generous. Some of us are going, I'm great at that, I'm great at that, I'm great at that, I'm great at that. And then we go, have a little bit. And we wonder why something is not so good. It's because we're not sowing into it. That's all the Bible is teaching. Number three, your giving attitude will determine your giving altitude. Your giving attitude will determine your giving altitude. Verse 7 says this, Each of you should give, should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A giving attitude is, uh, is made up of three elements. Number one, it's personal. It's personal. You have to decide what you want to give in your heart. That's what the scripture teaches. Giving and generosity always has to be personal. Second is, it's passionate. A giving and a generous attitude is not with reluctance or with regrets. It's freely given. It flows. It's not having to be dragged out of you. It's something that you're saying, I'm with this. That's what generosity is. And finally, a giving attitude is non-pressured. It's personal, it's passionate, and it's non-pressured. It's not done under compulsion. It's not done just to fit in because everybody else is doing it. Uh, But you are saying, I'm doing this because it's my value. And I want to uh, ask us all, what is our values? It's our value that we want the kingdom of God to grow and advance and to move forward and the church to prosper as well as you. You see, the combination of these three elements, it being personal, it being passionate, and it being non-pressured, brings a cheerfulness that God enjoys. He says, well, I can see you flowing in that. You're a cheerful giver. And God loves that. God hates it when we go, I'm giving it but I don't want to. And God's saying, well, you're giving it, and I'm not sure I want it. God's no debtor to anybody. You're giving it, but I'm just doing it. And God said, well, you're just doing it, 
Well, I'm not impressed. God loves a cheerful giver. It has to be personal. It has to be passionate. It has to be non-pressurized. So you have to think, God, can I give you from my heart? It's about me and you. It's not about anyone else. Fourthly, good promises are attracted to good character. It's a generous principle. Look at verse 9. And God is able to bless you abundantly. And then Paul goes on and, and quotes from Psalm 112, which I'm going to read in a moment. But God blesses us by grace. Surely he does. You know, but do you realize there are different types of blessing? And, and I think that we can't always fill our lives with the get me out of this trouble, Lord, blessing. Or I really need you now, Lord, blessing. Or some of us are addicted to the way of the emergency blessing. God, I've messed up. Bless me. Help me. And God reaches down in his grace and lifts us up. And that's one type of blessing, and God's always going to do that. I've done that many times in my life. When I've messed up, he said, by my grace, nothing you've done, I'll lift you up and bless you. Have you received that type of blessing? But some of us are addicted to that. We live in that. And yet there's another type of blessing. There's a, there's a flow of blessing. There's a state of blessing. There's a favor of God, whereby through your good character, God fills your life with good things. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 112, because that's where Paul quotes from in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Psalm 112 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, uh, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken, for they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts will be steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They have no fear. And they end up, and in the end they will look in triumph of their foes to their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteous endures forever. You see, there's a good blessing that comes to good character. There's a flow of blessing that comes when you develop yourself and say, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be the person who, who sows lots and not is just so careful about the one little thing that I want to just give because I just think, Lord, that's just, that's just so what you deserve. And God's saying, I gave you this. It's good character. Fifthly, you know, it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people. But when you develop your character, I'll tell you what does happen. You become more resilient in bad times. You're able, to you're able to deal with it in difficult times. Fifthly, good supply leads to good godly release. This is where we started. Expect to enlarge. Verse 10 says this. 
Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply increase to your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving for God. What I've noticed about my life that I always have to begin to challenge my, my static way of generosity that I've stayed the same for a while, or I've, I've just had one mode of giving, that I've, that I've kind of said, well, that's not my personality to give encouragement, so I'm not doing it. And yet the Bible says, encourage each other while it's day. You know, so, so I begin to challenge the, my generosity, both in words, in money, in time, in commitment, because some of us have stayed at the same level for a long time. We're doing our duty. We're doing the right thing. And that's great. Well done. God bless you. But this scripture says, as you go on a generous journey, you'll grow in it. And as you grow in it, God will supply the seed that you can grow in it even more. You'll be able to enlarge and be enriched. As you give yourself to the generous journey, your ability to be generous will grow. You see, our natural instinct is opposite, isn't it? The more we get, the more we want to consume, the more we get more. And God will bless you. He will. But it's there so that you can be a blessing. But it's that as you get more, you can give more and help more and also receive that blessing for yourself. So, A simple lesson is good supply leads to a good godly release. When you get blessed, God wants you to release it. It's not that you'll always stay the same and you'll think, well, what about me, Lord? The Lord knows about you and he's going to care for you and provide for you. But understand he wants to enrich you so you can bless others. Sixthly, good generosity results in a good witness. Because of this service which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. Do you want BCC? Do you want you to be able to witness to the world and other people to say, God is really amongst them? Our generous nature and our generous heart will be one of the best ways that we can protect the integrity of the church and our lives of the church by being generous. Generosity has an effect on others to bless them and change you. So I want to say to you, go down to verse 15, the very last sentence of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because I want to say to you that everything that I've spoken about today is predicated, is founded upon this one sentence. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Of Jesus Christ. He gave us his only son, and everything is founded on that gift. You know, we got some folks from the Bible College here. I want to tell you before Jesus was a doctrine, he was a gift. Before Jesus was a formula for some people, he was a gift. He's not a formula, he's a gift. Before Jesus was a song, Kevin, he was a gift. He was a gift that causes us to sing, but he's a gift. And God is generous. He gives you a gift. Jesus is not an idea. He's a gift. 
Jesus is not a stance in life. He's a gift. Jesus is not just a way of doing things. He's a gift. He's a gift for you. And that's what God said. The reason why God says, I want you to be like me because of those famous words that we all quote. For God so loved that he gave. Amen? God expresses his love by giving his most precious thing. So the other day, my daughter calls me and says, Dad, I've got some news. You're going to be a granddad again. So, after the phone goes down, that's my older daughter, Lydia, put the phone down and say, God, it's not my place to do this fully because this is their parents' authority. But as much as it is me, I now give you that grandchild. Because you have to give the most precious things that you have to God. And when you give it, he blesses it, releases it. Some of you want your children to grow up, but what if God next Sunday night calls them to be a missionary and they don't become the lawyer, the doctor, the everything that you want them to become. They actually live in the far-flung corners of the world just preaching the gospel. Would you be as proud of them as that? You see, you've got to give in order for God to bless you. And I know we've got lawyers and doctors in the house and you're doing a great job. So thanks for all that you're doing. Because I couldn't do what you do. But maybe God's got a calling for you. You see, let's have the worship team back, shall we? Before Jesus was anything, he's a gift. Would you pray this prayer with me? Oh, Jesus, you gave me so much. Let me be like you. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to ask you to join a scheme. I'm going to ask you, it's going to be in three phases. As, as, as BCC people, it's going to be in three planned phases. It'll take a few years, but first of all, we're going to clear some historical debt. We're going to wipe the slate clean in BCC. I'm going to ask you to give to that so that we can have freedom. And secondly, we're going to plant and repurpose a church. We're going to give them money so that we can branch out and our vine can go over the wall and we can reach across this city. And we're going to ask you to give money to that. And thirdly, I'm going to ask you to give money to a building project so that we can build a prayer tower and an evangelism school and a place where lots and lots of people can be trained so we can do a church planting school and, and reach out. We want to do things in this place. Would you stand with me? Can somebody say amen to those three phases? Can somebody give the Lord a clap offering to some of those three phases?